0: Hello and welcome to Creative Lives. This is the podcast that's brought to you by Lecture in Progress, where we get to know inspiring creatives, we ask them how they got to where they are today, and we also get them to share their wisdom for those that are just starting out. This week on the podcast, we catch up with Olivia Armoured, My name is Olivia Ahmed and I'm an exhibition
1: curator and editor and writer specialising in graphic arts and design. I'm curator at House of Illustration which is a public art gallery based in London and I'm also editor of Varun magazine which is the association of illustrators contemporary illustration publication.
0: Since joining the gallery in 2014, Olivia has developed more than 50 exhibitions that's six to eight a year, celebrating illustration greats like screen printing nun Sister Carita Kent and unearthing lesser-known narratives like the current exhibition that's dedicated to Polish illustrator George Hymn. I kind of think of making exhibitions as not dissimilar from making
1: an illustrated book. You have to think about pace and rhythm and the thread, you know, like when, when someone's walking through your show, what do they see or read first what do they see next are there elements of surprise or kind of what's the journey that they take through a show and then you think about how you support that with colors might be the color of the walls it might be the color of your labels what are the graphics like what font do you use for things so I think it's a similar decision making process as I used to take when I was making comics when
0: I was studying for example Olivia likens her work to that of a detective. At a time when curators can browse more and more collections online, much of Olivia's work is still very human-centric and hands-on. Because illustration doesn't exist in museums and galleries in the same way as, say, art or photography, Olivia's research will often begin by visiting people at home, either the artists themselves or surviving family members, and rummaging through their drawers for artworks, documents and even receipts, to uncover lost projects and build a fuller picture of their practice. I spend quite a lot of my time
1: looking for artwork and looking for collections. And the thing about graphic design and illustration is that it hasn't been celebrated in a sort of public arts context in the same way as something like painting or ceramics or even product and furniture design. And that means that I can't go to museum websites and online collections to find the artwork I'm looking for most often I'm finding artwork in family collections so I have to go and find out where there are stores of artwork I spend a lot of my time in people's attics looking at their family archives people that they were related to who might have passed away who had their contents of their studios transported into a garage and they're not thought about again Uh, for a long time, that kind of thing. It's quite a human process, really, curating exhibitions. It's kind of like being a detective. You kind of go and you have an idea in mind for an exhibition and then you kind of have to find out who the person was, if they're an artist who's passed away. Or sometimes an exhibition will involve looking at someone's old papers, their receipts, their bank statements, see who their clients were, match up different projects that way. Or sometimes there isn't any documentation and you just have to go and meet someone's ex-partner or their children or their other descendants to find out more about who they were as an artist. All these kind of like really innocuous things, all the kind of ephemera of our lives are actually really, um, for me,
0: they're they're my main source material when I'm researching a show. Often, Olivia's job is to introduce audiences to work that they won't have seen before. Last year, this even took her to Havana to track down the graphic designers behind some of the iconic left-wing posters and magazines of the Cold War period. At House of
1: Illustration, we're particularly interested in the work of people who are underrepresented in art history and um, sort of critical thinking about illustration and design. So the work of women is hugely overlooked. The work of people of black and minority ethnic heritage is often very overlooked. And so, yes, we're very often doing exhibitions about things that haven't been documented before or people's work that hasn't been documented before in this kind of semi-formal public arts way. Probably my favourite project, or the project that's made the most impact on me in the last year, is an exhibition I worked on called Designed in Cuba Cold War Graphics. So that exhibition focuses on the output of one Cuban design studio who were working in Havana from 1966, right up until this year actually, they closed this year. And it's slightly unusual, so a collector based in the UK contacted me and said they had the complete works of this particular cuban studio they produced posters and magazines that expressed solidarity between non-aligned countries and radical leftist movements across the world so i went to see the collection it's based in oxford in someone's house so again (laughs) and while the collector had posters screen printed posters really amazing illustrated magazines there was no documentation for me to find out more about what I was looking at so I didn't have any sense of who the designers were as people or how the studio operated or whether the posters that they made had an impact in the world or whether they kind of met their aim of showing solidarity with different countries. And so in February, I went with my colleague Valentina Zanino to Havana and we tracked down the designers who'd been working at the studio from the 60s onwards and spoke to them. (laughs) They gave us loads of insight into the material limitations that they worked with, the political context they were working in, how much fun they were having at the studio, which was important for us to know because they had a completely different approach to propaganda than other studios in Cuba or in any other socialist state producing material at the same time. So it was really great to get that personal insight from them. And we also visited their old studio and had a rummage around People very kindly allowed us to do that and we found a lot of really interesting archive photographs of the studio and of some of the really important moments in their history and a little bit of paperwork as well, not as much as we would have liked. So we drew all of that together and that meant that when we were showing people a series of posters, for example, from the 70s, that were criticising the USA, we're not just putting it up and speculating about what the designer's intentions were. We can really give people a much more more in-depth understanding and more context what they're looking at. I love nice pictures, we all love nice pictures, but what's really important for me is the socio-political and economic context that they exist in. Because even things like illustration for advertising tells us a lot about a society's values, for example, and the technologies that are available to designers. So they're the things that I'm really interested in.
0: Alongside her day job at the House of Illustration, Olivia is also the editor of the Association of Illustrators magazine, Verum, which she squeezes into evenings and weekends. It's there that she publishes the work of emerging contemporary illustrators, but using the same in-depth research skills and a nose for a story.
1: I think the first issue one of Varun came out when I was 17 and I got it delivered to my local newsagent and I just thought it was the coolest, most explosive thing I'd ever seen in my life because I knew what illustration was, I had some illustration books and after doing a foundation in art and design I decided to do illustration at university but I still had no idea of the scope of what illustration could be so this magazine just meant so much to me. And then I think that must have been more than 10 years ago now so it's quite an established magazine. and. The world of talking about illustration and design and magazine publishing have changed so much since then. So back then, you didn't have platforms like It's Nice That. I think Design Week might have been in print then, <laughs> rather than online. Magazines like that were a really important way to find out about new things that were happening. And Sort of 10 years or more later, I've taken the magazine on as editor, and it's a totally different environment. So now we have all these amazing platforms that have a lot of investment behind them, and they're generating a lot of articles about a lot of things. So you have these big teams publishing really good content online. And so you have to think, what is a print magazine that comes out twice a year for if it's not for doing the job that's now done better by online platforms. And so when I'm looking for subjects for articles for Varoom, I guess I'm looking for things that haven't been featured online before, projects that might be happening in a different way or projects that maybe need a longer form article because people read in a different way online than they do in print. They can kind of cope with a little bit more, I think, in print or, you know, if you have a magazine on your table, You might read an article, but you can always go back to it. um, I mean, you can do that online too, but I don't think people do so much because of the pace at which platforms are updated. While I use Instagram to find artists, mostly what... I rely on at Varoom is we have an editorial board, so people who are working in different aspects of the illustration industry and academia, they're seeing projects at the point of creation often. So they're a really great kind of collective mind (laughs) for Varoom for finding subjects for articles. And also as much as possible, I like to go to exhibition openings and meet people and talk to them about their work. When it comes to Instagram, I think Instagram is brilliant and I do use it a lot, but also a certain kind of work gets traction on instagram just because of the nature of the platform what it looks like the way the algorithms work so i hope that for room can be a space for work that is perhaps not as consumable on social media
0: a graduate of illustration at cambridge school of art and later museum studies and art curation at newcastle university olivia's studies led her to question who the gatekeepers were of knowledge at museums and galleries in the uk I studied illustration at Cambridge School of Art and I really loved
1: it very much. It was quite a traditional course, it was run by someone called Martin Salisbury and we did a lot of observational drawing, a lot of reportage which I hated, uh, <laughs> lots of you know, repeatedly drawing loca- on location um, and being very sternly criticised, <laughs> but in a healthy way. As part of that course, it was quite focused on sequential narrative. so a lot of people made children's books, I made a lot of m- more abstract artist books and comics and sort of more experimental comics. At the time, when we were given a brief to make a book about something or a sequential story, I just didn't have that kind of imagination that could make up stories, and I found it quite difficult. But luckily, in Cambridge, uh, as part of the university, there are several museums of natural history and decorative arts. all, All these amazing collections are housed there and are freely accessible for people to go to. And so I started going to those, and when I started doing research into particular objects that I had some kind of interest in, I found that there were amazing stories contained in... Every item, basically. And so I started to make books and comics about particular items. They'd really spark my imagination. And I thought, actually, museums are fascinating places. <laughs> and um, before I went to university and started doing all this like research in museums, I'd sort of thought of them as these objective repositories of knowledge and the more i looked at objects and museum collections i realized that that's not the case at all somebody there decides what's important about our history what's not important and they might hold up one object and say some things about it and not other things and i found that a kind of construction of our history really fascinating and so that's when i kind of got the idea that i might like to work in museums and galleries myself So when I graduated from my BA in Illustration, I got accepted onto a two-year programme that was run by the Museums Association called Diversify, which is a programme that aimed to address underrepresentation of people of black and minority ethnic heritage in the UK cultural sector, well, museums and galleries sector anyway. And so as part of that, I did a kind of two-year traineeship where I was like an apprentice, basically, working in a curatorial department. And I also, at the same time, did a part-time MA. So I was still working four days a week, and I spent one day a week doing my MA. And it was in museum studies at Newcastle University. And there are quite a lot of MAs like that around the UK now. So museum studies, but also art gallery education, art curation. And what a lot of them have in common, and what mine was like, was it was a kind of mixture of vocational, quite practical, tangible advice on working in museums and galleries. So telling you about management structures about kind of legal requirements about how you administer a collection about how you do research about things that don't appear online, that you can't Google, that how do you find out about that information? All these kind of really tangible, practical things, but also about the theory of museum and gallery practice and the history of cultural institutions, which is really fascinating. And then at the end of that, there was a module that was a placement, which I think is something that you get in quite a lot of MAs, which is great because you go and you work with an institution for a month or so, so you can really get an insight into how different organisations work there so I did mine at the British Library the Education Department which was a really great insight into how a really big organisation worked because I'd worked in quite a small institution up till then and although they had quite similar processes they were very different culturally so I felt like I'd had a broad look at the industry by the time I would graduated I think when it comes to curating in public arts institutions and museums it's quite an arcane industry in many ways and I I think an MA is still quite a, an important sort of passport to to curatorial work in that sector. Having said that, there are many opportunities to be a curator in... Uh, in you know, it's a big industry and it's not just limited to those public art spaces. Festivals, for example, It's a, it's a big industry. But in terms of public arts, I think it's still quite locked down. After I did my MA and I did my curatorial apprenticeship, Quite soon after, I was really fortunate to uh, get a job as exhibitions curator with the Northern Design Festival, uh, which was a really small arts organisation, just three of us. And my job there was to devise exhibitions that would take place in lots of different kinds of spaces, so sometimes museums and galleries, sometimes raw abandoned spaces. It was totally different to everything I'd learned working in an older institution. It was so liberating not to think about some of the administrative processes and it was really refreshing not to be weighed down by some of the conventions of museums and galleries which mostly i love but you know it was really interesting to look at cultural provision from a different perspective and the organization had a really amazing director karen nair stone who was really responsive to movements in contemporary design for example so often when you're working on an exhibition for a museum or gallery You might be working on it for a year you might be working on it for two years it's quite a long process whereas working at the northern design festival it was an annual festival so we were responding to very new movements in product and furniture design and surface design so it really helped me see that that was possible that you know that you can respond to things and be part of the creative industries in quite a your work can run quite closely in parallel to it so that was great i
0: loved it As well as the people skills to put artists at ease, networking is also an important part of Olivia's role. Networking is one of those
1: terrifying words. I think for me it just means meeting people and being nice to people. (laughs) I mean, the museums and galleries sector is a really small industry, so you see the same faces over and over again in different contexts. I've been working in public arts for 10 years now, and it's a really tight community. And so I think for me, I'm not a kind of natural networker, but I think if you... Talk to people in a really genuine way and have really genuine interest in things. And if you can be generous with your own time and your own knowledge, that'll come back to you. That's what networking is for me. But yeah, it's certainly very important.
0: You have to behave when you work in a small industry. Finally, Olivia shares her advice for emerging creatives. I really loved art school
1: and I loved the freedom to make and to explore my own interests. But the thing I wish that I had known more about then or thought more about then was just things like how to present yourself how to write an email to someone that means they'll take you seriously how to invoice how to manage your financial affairs as a freelancer all of these things that seem like they're completely separate from being a creative professional but actually they're integral to being a sustainable creative professional and People like the Association of Illustrators, for example, who publish for Room. They have really great resources and talks about things like publishing contracts, things that you might not necessarily think are important to you as as somebody who makes, but really
0: you need to know that stuff. The Creative Lives podcast is brought to you by Lecture in Progress. We're a platform that's helping emerging talent to grow fulfilling creative careers. I'm Marianne Hanoon, and our guest this week was Olivia Armad. Our editor is Ivor Manley, with production support from Laura Snowde. In case you missed it, we've launched our all-new Opportunities Board. It's a centralised hub for entry-level opportunities, so you'll be able to find everything from junior job postings to learning schemes and internships across the UK. You can check it out at Lecture in Progress is, of course, made possible with the support of our brand partners. They include GF Smith, Google, Colophon Foundry, GIFGAF, and the Paul Smith Foundation. You can find out more at lectureinprogress.com and we also love hearing from you so please do get in touch or leave us a rating. Till then, we'll see you next week.